Section 4 of Make Mine Homogenized by Rick Raphael. This here LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield. Section 4, A Strange Pungent Odor. The next morning, Johnny had mixed up 200 gallons of Sally's fuel and had the pickup tractor, cattle truck, and his 1958 Ford and Hetty's 59 Chevrolet station wagon all purring on the mixture. Mixing it was a simple process after he experimented and found the right proportions. One quart of pure Sally's milk to one hundred gallons of water. He had used the two remaining quarts in the gasoline can to make the mixture, but by morning Sally had graced the ranch with five more gallons of the pure concentrate. Johnny carefully stored the concentrated milk in a scoured fifty-five-gallon gasoline drum in the tool shed. We've hit a gold mine, he told Hetty exultantly. We're never going to have to buy gasoline again. On top of that, at the rate Sally's turning this stuff out, we can start selling it in a couple of weeks and make a fortune. That same morning, Hetty collected three more of the golden eggs. Set them on the shelf, Johnny said, and when we go into town next time, I'll have Dale look at them and maybe tell us what those hens have been into. I'll probably go into town again next Saturday for the mail. But when Saturday came, Johnny was hobbling around the ranch on a ranched ankle, suffered when his horse stumbled in a gopher hole and tossed him. You stay off that leg, Hetty ordered. I'll go into town for the mail. Them girls can just struggle along without your romancing this week. Johnny made a wry face, but obeyed orders. Barney, Hetty bawled, bring me a quarter of beef out of that cooler. Barney stuck his head out of the barn and nodded. I've been promising some good beef to Judge Hatcher for a month of Sundays now, Hetty said to Johnny. If you're going to stop by the courthouse, how about taking those crazy eggs of yours to the county agent's office and leave them there for analysis, Johnny suggested. He hobbled into the kitchen to get the golden eggs. Barney arrived with a chilled quarter of beef wrapped in burlap. He tossed it in the bed of the pickup and threw more sacks over it to keep it cool under the broiling mid-morning sun. Johnny came out with the eggs in a light cardboard box stuffed with crumpled newspapers. He wedged the box against the side of beef in the forward corner of the truck bed. One more thing, Hetty, he said. I've got a half drum of drain oil in the tractor shed that I've been meaning to trade in for some gearbox lube that Willie Simmons said he'd let me have. Can you drop it off at his station and pick up the grease? Throw it on, Hetty said. Well, I go change into some town clothes. Johnny started to hobble down the porch steps when Barney stopped him. I'll get it, boy. You stay off that ankle. Barney climbed into the pickup and drove it around to the tractor shed. He spotted two oil drums in the gloomy shed. He tilted the nearest one and felt liquid slosh near the halfway mark, then rolled it out the door. Barney heaved it into the truck bed, stood it on end against the cab, and drove the pickup back to the ranch house door as Hetty came out wearing clean jeans and a bright flowered blouse. Her gray hair was tucked up in a neat bun from beneath a block Stetson hat. She climbed into the truck, waved to the two men, and drove out the yard. She bumped over the cattle guard at the gate. The wooden plug that Johnny had jury-rigged to cork the gasoline drum with its twenty-gallon load of pure Sally's milk bounced out. A small geyser of white fluid shot out of the drum as she hit another bump, and then the pickup went jolting down the ranch road, little splashes of Sally's milk sloshing out with each bump and forming a pool in the bottom of the truck. 
when Hetty cowboyed on to the country road. The drum tipped dangerously and then bounced back onto its base. This time a fountain of milk geysered out and slashed heavily into the box of golden eggs. Hetty drove on, but not for long. With the ranch woman's disregard for watching the road, Hetty constantly scanned the nearby rangelands where small bands of her cherished black Angus grazed. She prided herself on the fact that despite her sixty years, her eyes were still sharp enough to spot a worm-ridden cow at a thousand yards. Two miles after she turned onto the country road, which ran through Circle T rangeland, her roving gaze took in a cow and a calf on a hillside a few hundred yards south of the road. Hetty slowed the pickup to fifty miles an hour and squinted into the sun. She grunted with satisfaction and slammed on the brakes. The truck swerved and skidded to a halt at the left side of the deserted road. Hetty leaped from the truck and began a fast walk up the hillside for a closer look at the cow and calf. She never heard the dull thump of the milk drum tipping onto the edge of the truck bed. Hetty topped the hill and walked slowly towards the cow and calf that were now edging away from her. As she eased down the far side of the hill out of sight of the pickup, a steady stream of Sally's milk was engulfing the box of golden eggs. A minute later, the reduced contents caused the drum to shift and slip. It fell onto the eggs, cracking half a dozen. The earth split open and the world round Hetty erupted in a roaring inferno of purple-red fire and ear-scattering sound. The rolling concussion kept Hetty from her feet and tumbled her into a dry wash gully at the base of the hill. The gully saved her life as the sky-splitting shockwave rolled over her. Stunned and deafened, she flattened herself under a slight overhang. The rolling blast rocked ranches and towns for more than 100 miles, and the ground wave triggered the seismographs at the University of California, nearly 200 miles away, and at UCLA, 400 miles distance. Tracking and testing instruments went wild along the entire length of the AEC atomic test grounds, a mere 60 miles south of the smoking, gaping hole that marked the end of the Circle T pickup truck. In a direct line, the ranch was about eight miles from the explosion. Johnny was lounging in Hetty's favorite rocking chair on the wide back veranda, lighting a cigarette, and Barney was perched on the porch railing when the sky blotted out by the dazzling violet light of the blast. They were blinking in frozen amazement when the shock wave smashed into the ranch, flattening the flimsiest buildings and buckling the side and roof of the steel-braced barn. Every window on the place blew out in a storm of deadly glass shards. The rolling ground wave in the wake of the shock blast rocked and bounced the solid timber and adobe main house. The concussion hit Johnny like a fist, pinwheeling him backwards in the rocker against the wall of the house. It caught Barney like a sack of sodden rags and flung him atop the dazed and semi-conscious younger man. The first frightened screams of the horses in the barns and corrals were mingling with the bawling of the heifers in the calf pens when the sound of the explosion caught up with the devastation of the shock and ground waves. Like the reverberation of a thousand massed cannon firing at once, the soul-searing sound rumbled out of the desert and boiled with almost tangible density into the shattered ranch yard. It flattened the feeble stirring men on the porch and then thundered on in a tidal wave of noise. Barney moaned 
and rolled off the tangle of porch rocker and stunned youth beneath him. Johnny lay dazed another second or two and then began struggling to his feet. Hetty, he croaked, pointing wildly to the south where a massive, dirty column of purple smoke and fire rose skyward like the stem of a monstrous and malignant toadstool. Hetty's out there. He stumbled from the porch and broke into a staggering run to the pile of broken planks that seconds ago had been the tractor shed. As he crossed the yard, a great gust of wind whipped back from the north, pumping clouds of dry, dusty earth before it. The force of the wind almost knocked the bruised and shaken Johnny from his feet once again as it swept back over the ranch in the direction of the great pillar of purple smoke. Implosion, Johnny's mind registered. He tore off the stack of loose boards leaning against the station wagon flinging them fiercely aside in his frantic efforts to free the vehicle. Barney limped up to join him, and a minute later they had cleared a way into the wagon. Johnny squeezed into the front seat and drove it back from under the leaning boards. Three of the side windows were smashed, but the windshield was intact except for a small, starred crack in the safety glass. Clear of debris, Barney opened the opposite door and slid in besides Johnny. Dirt spun from beneath the wheels of the car as he slammed his foot to the floor and raced towards the smoke column that now towered more than a mile and a half into the air. Beneath her protective overhang, Hetty stirred and moaned feebly. Twin rivulets of dark blood trickled from her nostrils. Thick dust was settling on the area, and she coughed and gasped for breath. On the opposite side of the hill, a vast torn crater nearly a hundred feet across and six to ten feet deep, smoked like a stirring volcano and gave off a strange, pungent odor of ether. End of section four. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield, Mississippi, USA.